What is up, everybody? You are listening to another episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I am Blake Pace, along here with Matt Wyrick. We've got a lot going on right now. We've got baseball getting its all-star voting in the mix. We've got a very uh, heartbreaking moment in the NBA Finals. We also have a fun NFL discussion coming up for you guys later. Uh, So looking forward to all of that. Matt, how are you doing today? Pretty good. I mean, obviously pretty tough to uh, see what happened to KD last night, which we'll get to in a minute. But, you know, to see a, a superstar top five player in the sport go down with an injury like that, it's going to leave him out for such an extended amount of time. I mean, it hurts, you know, obviously rooting for Toronto in the finals. Um, but I never root for an injury regardless of what team. You always want the best players to be on the court, field, ice, whatever it is. And on either side, whether you know it's a team you like or team you hate. And, you know, to see a guy with KD's status go down like that, it was it was jarring. It really was. Yeah, it certainly was, and let's yeah, let's just continue into that topic because he came back, and and everyone said that um, reports were on, I believe Saturday's practice that it didn't look good. People said that he really wasn't ready to go, uh, but kind of paved his way to where he got the medical staff to clear him. Uh, I believe it was Monday afternoon, and then in the shoot around uh, before the game, everybody said that his energy was high. He was knocking down just about every shot, putting on a show for kind of the uh, audience in Toronto. Comes out in the game, hits his first two three-pointers, and honestly, I was sitting there in my seat watching the game, and I said, okay, Kevin Durant's going to put up 40 points in this game. Uh, He's, you know, back on the court, best player in that game. Uh, Even not at 100%, he's certainly, uh, you know, of course, you know, people would say at the worst in my mind, you know, he's the second best player at worst in the league. But he comes out uh, blazing. You could tell he really wasn't moving around too well. He was kind of taking things at his own pace, which was probably for the best. Um, had a couple collisions in the, in the early uh, period where I was kind of you know nervous. I saw him tumble around with uh, Pascal Siakam, and I got worried. Uh, Sergi Baca, and then. In kind of one of the more natural motions, he's just planting his foot, and we I've watched the zoomed-in video. I don't know if you have, Matt, but we see that uh, that Achilles pretty much right up his leg and pop. Um, yeah. Sh- should be out. You know, bad video to watch. Uh, should be out for the considerable uh, future. Um, I know reports haven't come back, but I would be uh, surprised if it wasn't, you know, a ruptured or torn Achilles. Um you know, Matt, what was your kind of initial reactions? Because first, I was, you know, shocked uh, simply by the fact I understand, uh, you know, fans in Toronto kind of had that adrenaline rush where it's like, oh, we don't have to worry about Kevin Durant, let's cheer. But then, you know, they quickly turned things around into I, they chanted for Katie eventually after the players got them to kind of hush down. Uh, but then, you know, it, like you were saying, it was just a, a heartbreaking moment to kind of watch the, you know, the best player on the court be taken out after he you know, worked his way up and he told others, you know, I may not be 100%, but I'm going to go out there and play for my team and try and, you know, get this swinging in the right uh, direction for Golden State. Yeah, I mean, the initial reports uh, coming out of of Warriors camp were that this injury was a lot more severe than, you know, the team was letting on, than Durant was letting on, uh, and the, the likelihood of him playing in the playoffs at all after he sustained it were pretty low. Obviously, he fights to come back, and you know you have to to hand it to him uh, to make that effort to to get back on the court, do it for his team, whether it was for his team or for you know potential suitors. You know, no one's ever going to know that, but uh, you know you have to admire the fact that he was able to get back on the court with such a good turnaround and um, look good coming out. But you know, I I just question whether or not you know he should have been out there at all. I mean, you know, the Warriors obviously 
were, were pretty certain that KD wasn't going to take his player option going into next year. So they were going to lose him to free agency, whether, you know, they had the, the trump card of the, you know, possible Supermax extension, which, you know, left that on the table, certainly. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the Warriors dynasty, I don't, want, I don't want to say it's coming to an end because they're certainly going to be competing, you know, year in, year out for the next couple of years, certainly. Um, but, you know, it, it, with Clay Thompson as an impending free agent and Draymond Green the year after and, uh, you know, obviously KD might be out the door. There's going to be a lot of different moving parts. And, you know, with the depth being a problem already and, you know, they already have a high payroll, they're going to be approaching, approaching that salary cap uh, who, regardless of who they re-sign, whether that's Durant or Clay or both. Uh, they're going to be up high, so it's going to be tough to you know get a lot of depth just in general because you're not going to be able to pay those depth players. So the, you know the Warriors are kind of looking at this year as potentially you know the last real uh, time when when the Warriors are this super team. You know, go all in right now. Let's get KD back in the floor and win this thing. I don't know if, if if that's necessarily the best move just for his health in the long term. Obviously, you know it's easy to say that now looking back, 2020 vision and all that, but. Um, you know, just going into the game, having heard how serious the injury was, I was really surprised that they did end up activating him and, you know, that he ended up playing in this series and ultimately he's going to be paying the price for it. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think a lot the like trigger reaction is, is where are we placing the blame? Um, and of course, Bob Myers gave a very emotional uh, press conference after the game where he said, if everyone wants to put the blame on me, I'm okay with that because he runs the basketball operations of the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, I all aside for it being, uh, you know, the calf strain being an injury where he wasn't able to walk without any type of support, I don't think they were going to be able to stop Kevin Durant for coming to play. Um, of course, they could have you know, physically taking the jersey and said, no, you're not allowed to. But I think a player that caliber has demanded the respect um, of having a say in when he thinks he's ready to go. And yes, the injury was definitely more severe than they were letting it on to be. And that's why he did miss, you know, probably about uh, roughly, I think, five weeks of time. Um, you know, if, if it was any other series, KD wouldn't have come back. If it was the Eastern or the Western Conference Finals, he wouldn't have been back. If the series was any different situation, if it was tied 2-2, two two, or even if Golden State was up 3-1, Kevin Durant wouldn't be coming back. But they had their backs against the wall. Kevin Durant knew that. The other players, coaching staff, ownership, GM, they all knew that this was kind of their last shot to get things swinging in the right direction. Um, I don't think there's too much blame to be put around. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that as soon as... It, everyone was kind of thinking about that when Kevin Durant was coming back. It's like, okay, this is going to go one of two ways. A, he's healthy, and he's going to, you know, tear things up for Golden State and possibly get them a chance to win another title. Or, <coughs> excuse me, uh, this is going to go poorly, and next thing you know, he's going to be stuck with a uh, uh, an even worse, more severe injury. So, unfortunately, we got the latter. Uh, Kevin Durant should be out for, uh, you know, maybe all of next season. We know Achilles injuries certainly aren't an easy one to come back from, and I think that's where this conversation needs to go next because he is set to be a free agent. Now, there are, poss- there are a few different routes that Kevin Durant can go. The first is he could decline that player option, uh, become a free agent, and choose to sign elsewhere. He could choose to sign with a, a team that might feel comfortable paying him a lot of money up front, but maybe having it a little more um, a little more insurance on their end because of the injury. Maybe it's not a ton in the first year, but it pays out that max salary that he would uh, be getting in the years after. Um, he could accept the player option sit on $31 million for the next season, and then just 
become a free agent a year later after, you know, maybe he was able to come back uh, next uh, postseason for Golden State. Um, and then there's the option that he could opt out and the Warriors could sign him that five-year max. And I feel like the Warriors, as, as I was just saying, there shouldn't be a blame game, but they definitely have to feel a little bit guilty about what's happened. I think that the Warriors, if Kevin Durant did decline that option, would feel inclined to give him that super max. Now, I, I'm not saying that it's like a bad thing for uh, Golden State to want to do that, um, but I think what you would consider is is they offer the super max. Kevin Durant might choose to accept it, and uh, you know, shedding cap and whatnot. We talk about depth. <coughs> the big thing would be, uh, you know, waiting a season and moving on from Draymond and running around with. Uh, Steph, Clay, KD, and kind of filling out the bench as best as they could. They're they're three very interesting routes. Uh, what makes the most sense to you if you're Kevin Durant uh, and if you're the Warriors too? I mean, if if I'm Kevin Durant, I, I'm going to take this player option. I mean, th- there's you know a typical nine month recovery time for this, so that does put him in line to to play in the postseason next year. Now, mm-hmm. he probably won't be playing at the level uh, that we're used to seeing out of him. 538 actually did a, a study. No, I wouldn't call it a study, but the, they posted a chart uh, of different players who have come back uh, from torn Achilles tendons uh, in their VORP, which is value of a replacement player uh, rating, uh, before the injury and afterward. And all but one... Uh, saw a decline uh, in that number. All but two. Rudy Gay came back as the same player uh, afterward in terms of warp. And then we have to go all the way back to 1991-1992 season when Dominique Wilkins, uh, 32 years old, actually came back and was better. Uh, But since then, all of the seven players have either been the same or worse. Uh, Most notably, worse. Six of those seven players came back and they just kind of weren't the same player. Now that was the season following. So, you know, obviously you expect that the year after that, um, if you're a reasonable age, which Kevin Durant's, you know, floating around the age of 30, he's not a super old player. Um, you'd think that he'd still have a lot left in the tank. He's a very athletic player. He's a great shooter. Um, you know, his game kind of lends itself to being able to come back from an injury like this. Um, so, if I'm him, I take the guaranteed money, the $31.5 million for next year, uh, and, and see if you can play inspiring basketball. I mean, this is a betting-on-yourself type situation. Uh, if, you're, if you go into free agency right now and decline that option, you know, you're really banking on teams you know, willing to look past this injury and look to the future, um, but that might scare away a, a few teams uh, who might have been interested in you. Uh, mm-hmm. and your market's going to be smaller, and you might not, have to, might not be able to take that entire max um, so I would take the guaranteed money and bet on yourself to come back from this injury, uh, playing at an elite level, <laughs> proves to teams next year uh, that you've still got enough in the tank in your age 31 season, uh, and then go into free agency again next year um, with a, a better chance of, of securing that max deal. If I'm the Warriors, um, you know I'm happy if he takes that uh, player option. I know you're paying a lot of money for him to only play at the end of the season, but you know you're going to have um, what could kind of just be a fresher. Uh, Kevin Durant for the end of the year, you know, obviously he wouldn't have been playing basketball for most of the season. So, um, you know, if he's back at full health by the end of the year next year, ready for the playoffs, you know, that's that's better than any kind of midseason trade you could make uh, for your basketball team. So I'm happy if he takes the option. If he declines it, 
Uh, I'm weary about giving him that super max. I mean, like you know, like we said, they're they're facing a lot of financial situations going into the future with Clay and, and Draymond Green. Uh, you know, and somebody's going to have to go. And we kind of saw the way this team was playing without Durant um, before the finals, and we saw that it could have been a recipe for success. Obviously, the the Raptors had an answer for it, and that was uh, a big thing uh, coming into Durant. You know, coming into this game is that they needed him. They obviously were down three one without him, but we saw that you know. This team could still play at a high level of basketball without him, uh, and I think if it has some better depth, I mean, we saw the bench uh, be a problem in this Toronto series. Um, I think that this is certainly you know something that they would have to think about, uh, but if I were the Warriors, I don't think I'd give him the Supermax. It's just a lot of money going to one player who you're really just not sure about you know, coming back from that injury. Right, yeah, I mean... I guess my, my feeling, it, of course, comes to the remorse, and I feel about how... <clears throat> Um, you know, everyone talks about how front office, you know, professional sports is a business and we've seen a lot of players get really, uh, really, you know, kind of, um, given the short end of the stick in some of these situations, I would just think with how forward thinking golden state is and how player friendly they are, they might be willing to offer something like that to him and just to ride it out for that year. Maybe they give, you know, that maybe they figure out a way where it's backloaded and maybe the first year they still have some room to go out and kind of handle the financial flexibility before being able to move on from a guy like Draymond Green. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, but <clears throat> there is some concern. You know, he is an older guy. He's had a couple, you know, long injuries before. And it's kind of, you know, it to a lesser degree because they're, they're definitely completely different types of players. But, I mean, the same thing happened last year uh, to DeMarcus Cousins, uh, who ruptured his Achilles, um, you know, it, I guess toward the end of the regular season for a New Orleans Pelicans team that was doing really well uh, working with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus, he hits free agency. And of course, DeMarcus is a different kind of player. And given his size, his Achilles and his weight, his Achilles is much more important to him than it would be to a guy like Kevin Durant. Um, But he took a, a small deal with Golden State and was able to come back in time for the playoffs. So it does seem like one of those situations where maybe if you're a team um, that would be interested in Kevin Durant. Maybe if you're a team like the Clippers that thinks we can get by until uh, March, uh, maybe late February, and kind of still be in the playoff mix to get him back, <coughs> maybe you feel comfortable doing that. And so, you know, it, it all changes the landscape of free agency, which we've already talked about episode after episode is going to be such an entertaining couple of months. I know we've got the draft. I feel like is only eight days or eight or nine days away, which is going to be crazy. Uh, free agency that falls after that trades and whatnot. The Kevin Durant injury just brings more intrigue to that. And if I can be selfish for a little, I need to go on a very depressed rant, uh, about the New York Knicks. (coughs) (laughs) So the New York Knicks best odds to get the lottery, of course, lose out on Zion Williamson, end up getting the third pick. Um, you know, the two options right now seem to be a package that would bring in Anthony Davis, which is great. If not, uh, drafting R.J. Barrett, he, uh, R.J. Barrett, by the way, uh, had his workout with the Knicks the other day and told media that he is not visiting with any other teams because New York is where he wants to play. Very interesting situation there. Um, and then, you know, the big thing was that Kevin Durant had a behind-the-scenes deal already or agreement with the New York Knicks. Uh, he was going to get a TV show on MSG Network. Uh, he was excited to become the face of New York and bring winning basketball back into Madison Square Garden. Um, and now with this injury, I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at free agency for the Knicks. And 
it might just be nothing. We might end up with RJ Barrett and maybe overpaying for a guy like Tobias Harris or a guy like Julius <laughs> Randle. I mean, I just can't think of how more I can't think about how worse this, you know, just leading up to the free agency draft period could have gone for the Knicks because there was talks months ago that it could have looked like Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson and Kevin Durant. Kyrie now might want to go to the Lakers or the Nets. The Knicks might be his third option uh, behind those two teams. Zion Williamson is going to be in New Orleans, and we're going to have to pay for NBA uh, TV to be able to watch him play all the time. And then Kevin Durant, who won't be uh, playing until next March, who knows if he wants to sign with the Knicks anymore, if the Knicks want to sign him. So it's a very depressing time to be a Knicks fan. I'm extremely upset, and I'm being selfish, and I know a lot of Knicks fans probably are being the same way. Um, of course, I, I care about Kevin Durant coming back healthy and, and a healthy, positive return for him, and I want to see him play successful basketball. But as a Knicks fan, I don't think these last few weeks could have gone any worse. Honestly, I have to agree with you. Uh, the Knicks certainly aren't loving this. But what about this scenario? What if... What if the Knicks tank again next season, but they use their super max slot or their, you know, their max contract slot, sign Kevin Durant now, just not plan on contending, uh, tank for mm-hmm. another top pick, and then pair R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox in, in the young core that you have along with Kevin Durant uh, and wait along for, for somebody else to hit free agency next year. I don't have the list in front of me of next year's free agents, but uh, you know maybe you kind of sit on that money, get some more young players in the system, uh, and, and, you know, maybe plan for, you know, next year or next, next year, uh, as the first year of Nick contention. What do you think about that? Yeah, that honestly has got to be the best scenario now for New York. And I, I appreciate you trying to turn my sadness <laughs> into happiness. That, that would Find be a the bright best. side here. <laughs> honestly, that would be the best scenario. Uh, you know, if you wanted to pitch to Kevin Durant, that the opening year of his TV show on MSG network could be about his rehab and getting back to full form. So then it brings all this intrigue with the Knicks for a year until we finally get to see Kevin Durant back. And it gives them another year to build around their, you know, their young players that are really coming out of their shells. Dennis Smith, Jr. Mitchell Robinson, who had, uh, who made all, uh, rookie second team this past year. Um, a guy like Kadeem Allen, um, <clears throat> Kevin Knox, like you said, hopefully has a better second season than his rookie year. Uh, RJ Barrett. Yeah, that, that has to be the best situation for the Knicks. And I'm going to hold out on that one. Um, you would have to commit the 30 some million, but if you plan on tanking and not playing Kevin Durant for an entire year, I don't, I, I really don't have a problem with that. Players that you could potentially sign next off season. Anthony Davis will have a player option. Mm-hmm. Uh, Draymond Green, an unrestricted free agent. Andre Drummond has a player option. DeMar DeRozan is a player option. Your boy, Kristaps Porzingis, is an unrestricted <laughs> free agent. Uh, Al Horford, player option. Mike Conley, Gordon Hayward, uh, mm-hmm. Gallinari, Marcus Saul, Kyle Lowry, Otto Porter. So, you know, there's some good names in there that you could definitely pair with Kevin Durant uh, and yeah. a young core to make a contending team, especially in the East. Yeah, that, that's a that's a big list, and especially if you give it uh, into consideration that there is still the chance that the Pelicans uh, could send Anthony Davis to New York. Um, a, yes. a reports recently where the Anthony Davis has narrowed his list down to the Knicks and the Lakers, so maybe you would hold out that uh, you would have Anthony Davis for a year. I guess that gets rid of the tanking aspect. I don't think that they would be an amazing team, but I would think an Anthony Davis-led team in the East could somewhat be near playoff contention. Um, and so, yeah, I guess... I guess that's the best situation for New York, and I know I took this into my own selfish right, but hopefully I'm, I'm still holding out that we that there's a chance Kevin Durant ends up a Nick. 
Well, that's also the thing is you could decide not to trade for Anthony Davis this season, let him go somewhere else and save those, that draft capital and, oh, and yeah. the young assets that you would have traded, and then he becomes a play a free agent that following off season, uh, and you sign him then. Now, if he goes to the Lakers and loves it and signs an extension, you know Paul George style, right. then you know obviously that that takes him out of the picture. But you know, given the other free agents that are available, it's it might not be the worst gamble. No, no, you're definitely right. There is a path where this could still work out for New York. I just want to see yes. good basketball in New York City, man. And I don't want to see it, it in the Barclays Center. I, I just do not care about the Nets at all. I think it's cool that they've got a young team with players, but like the fact that the Nets were able to rebuild quicker than the Knicks after making just a, a series of terrible trades is just so frustrating. All right, last thing before we uh, transition from basketball here. The NBA Finals. 3-2 yeah. in favor of the Raptors. Obviously, no KD for the Warriors. Kevon Looney says he's going to be playing in Game 6, so he'll at least be there. Who do you think comes out on top here? This is obviously going back to Oracle for the Warriors to, to tie things up. Do you think they get the win in Oracle and it goes to 7? Do the Raptors close it out? Uh, or do they have to go to 7 games and take that? You know, I think just all of the emotion, and I, you know, athletics... Sports are an emotional game, um, emotional warfare. I think the fact that it would be the last game in Oracle can get pumped up. You know, a really big, uh, you know, pump up speech from Steve Kerr. Steph and Clay uh, really found their rhythm uh, this past game. Not to say that they weren't great in this finals already, but they certainly got their shots falling uh, from beyond the arc. Kevon Looney, that dude's got some big balls because let me tell you, he looks in pain every second that the camera's on his face. He just looks miserable on the court uh, playing with that fractured. Uh, uh, what does he have? He's got a, something fractured in his shoulder or something like that. I'm trying to remember what it specifically yeah, was. Like I don't even remember. But but he just looks in so much pain every time he's shown on the screen. So, you know, hats off to him sticking through it. Um, I'm going to go Golden State takes game six. And then game seven, man, I don't know. I mean, if Steph wants to make his case where he uh, – I know people like to, to give him crap for not being a finals MVP. That could be his signature moment, game seven on the road putting the team on his his small underweight back uh, and and securing uh, you know the third Don't finals. forget coming back from the 3-1 lead. Exactly, yeah. It, overcoming the 3-1 <laughs> deficit, righting the wrongs from that Cleveland uh, finals that they, you know, let slip away so easily. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I am going to say I'm going to say Golden State takes game 6 and game 7, you know, I'm going to have to sleep on a little bit more. I'm going to have to see uh, and feel more confident from Golden State in Game 6 because I would tend to lean with the Raptors and just their ability to dominate in the front court. Um, you've got Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saw, Norman Powell, uh, Serge Ibaka. They've just been dominating the interior. Um, and, and guys like uh, Andrew Bogan and Draymond Green really can't do much to stop them. So I, right now I'm leaning goal, uh, Toronto in 7, but I do think it at least goes to Game 7. Yeah, well... With no logic or reason whatsoever, I'm saying Toronto in Game Six. So, Ooh, uh, right. I, I, just the way we, we the way we've seen Kawhi play in this series, I mean, he's just going to close it out. Uh, yeah. and, you know, obviously we they've won an Oracle already this series. Uh, you know, obviously home court advantage is huge in basketball. There's I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but just what we've seen him do. This isn't even the first time he's ended a dynasty. He's going to do it again uh, on the road and. Uh, you know, it's going to be an all-time uh, game That'd be for great. Him. So That'd be crazy. excited to see how Kawhi closes things out. Now, let's go ahead and talk some baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the first updates uh, from the All-Star ballots. 
uh, for both the American League and the National League in the past couple days. Uh, and Blake, what so far, you know, just scrolling through uh, the results, uh, it's a little bit different this year. If we vote on the finalists, uh, and then we vote on the starters after that. Uh, first, I'm just going to say on the record, I hate the fan vote altogether. Yeah, um, me too. You know, fan, they also open it up way too early where there's just such small sample oh. sizes, and the players who are good at starting voting, starting a voting aren't always good at the end, uh, so you have to deal with that, but you know, it is what it is. So you know, just looking at this, uh, these lists, who surprises you the most right now uh, as a top vote getter? As a as the number one vote getter in their area, because there were a Just, couple, yeah, there, yeah the, okay, because there are a couple that at like two that I've kind of been surprised about. Um, you know, it's tough to really pick one that I'm so surprised about. Um, obviously, you know, you look at the American League. I, I think Gary Sanchez, far and away, uh, you know, and the voting shows that too. He's about you know four hundred and fifty thousand above uh, James McCann from the White Sox. Gary Sanchez, to me, who I believe hit his 20th home run today, um, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, Luke Voigt's an interesting one if you want to talk about that because I, you know, I feel like the the New York fan base in itself, uh, kind of just you know how popular the brand is, and he's been you know definitely a, a, a hard hitting guy this year. Has 16 or 17 home runs this season, uh, but is also batting around 255, maybe 260 now. Um, so you know him at at the top. I know C.J. Cron is is uh, you know. 91,000 uh, votes below him. Um, I guess I guess the thing that's most surprising to me is just the fact that this Yankees infield is so high up uh, on just about every category, despite not you know having, I guess, I, the starters that we assumed this season. I mean, you take a look at second base, DJ LeMayhew, the amazing season he's had. He's in third in voting there. Third base, Gio Urshela, who stepped up uh, extremely late for the Yankees, but in a critical way, he's great defensively and has also really improved his bat. He's in second in third place voting. Uh, Glaber Torres, uh, third at shortstop voting, um, ahead of guys like Tim Anderson and Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor, of course. So that one might be a little surprising to most, but he's had a really good season as well. Um, yeah, I guess I guess the biggest surprise to me, not just one that's the top vote getter, but the fact that the Yankees infield is getting so much love, but they're, you know, first place in the AL East. All those players have stepped up in a big way, and it is a big market. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. What are, What are your thoughts on on those Yankees infielders? Well, I mean, they've just been invaluable. I mean, with all the injuries that New York has had this season and the the, the start that you know the Yankees have gotten off to, I mean, they're deserving of it. Certainly, there, there's nothing to take away uh, from any of these guys. I mean, a couple of years back, we had the Royals take over when you know we were seeing Alcides Escobar uh, as a starting shortstop uh, for the American League team when you know he was hitting 220 and really not you know showing up, or or Bryce Harper. Uh, getting it every year, even last year when, you know, obviously he was in his walk year and a lot of people were talking about him, but he was, I think, one of the leading vote getters, if not the leading vote getter uh, Mm -hmm. in the National League. And, you know, he was hitting, I want to say, 215 uh, around the All-Star break. So, you know, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was deserving either. So I think, you know, right now the fans are, are doing pretty well. You know, when I when I look at the, the voting, if I were to, to make these decisions, which I will vote, uh, I just try to wait till the very end so I have as much data to work with as possible. Right. Um, but I try to go 75% uh, 
uh, a stock in my choice is put into how the players played this season, and then 25% is how well they've played in their career. So if like hmm. two players are really neck and neck, um, you know, I'm going to look at the career accolades and says, you know, who would benefit more from being a all star? Because you know, this thing, all star appearances, as dumb as this is. Uh, you know, this affects Hall of Fame candidacy. Oh yeah, uh, for players who you know might be on the fringe, if they have a lot of Hall of Fame or, or All Star appearances, that's going to help boost their stock uh, in the voting for Hall of Fame. And you know, that's that's people's lives that are, are really affected. So you know, I think fans should take this just as seriously uh, as any of the voters for Hall of Fame would. So that being said, you know, I'm, I'm surprised uh, that some of the players who you know might not have the same name recognition. Uh, as some of their counterparts are leading the way. Luke Voigt, for example, is, is leading first base over guys like Jose Abreu, Carlos Santana, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera. I mean, you know, some of those guys aren't necessarily playing so well this year, but, you know, Voigt's definitely not as big a name. He plays in a bigger market, but sure. Tommy LaStella, uh, who yeah. I talked about a couple of podcasts ago, absolutely killing it for the Angels. He's leading it over Jose Altuve and TJ LeMayu, uh, two of the best second basemen in baseball, uh, very well known across the league, especially Altuve, who's won an MVP. LeMayu won a batting title, and there's LaSalle leading the way there. Josh Bell at first base uh, in the National League. Uh, he's been outstanding uh, for the Pirates this year, but he's leading over Anthony Rizzo and Freddie Freeman, two guys who have been in MVP conversations before. So we're seeing some guys who you know might not have that name recognition over the established stars, uh, and I think that's showing that fans are recognizing you know who's playing very well and you know I, I would say Bell deserves it, and LaStella uh, probably deserves it as well. Uh, Voight Nothing to take away from him, but you know, Crone. I've been really impressed with him this year. You know, obviously the Twins are neck and neck with the Yankees uh, in terms of competing for one of the best records in baseball. Um, my slight edge would go to Crone, but uh, you know, both you can't really can't go wrong. I don't really think I have a problem uh, with any of the big um, decisions here. Another one is shortstop in the American League, Jorge Polanco. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the year, you know, how stocks stacked the shortstop position is. And a lot of those yeah. players were coming from the American League. Uh, guys like Carlos Correa and, and Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor, and Anderson Simmons. All four players uh, who I talked about as four of the best five shortstops in baseball. And then not to mention guys like Glaber Torres and Tim Anderson, who have been outstanding this year. Adalberto Mendesi for the Royals. I mean, shortstop is stacked right now. But Jorge Polanco has been awesome for the Twins, a big part of their success. Uh, and he's deserving in that top spot, despite the fact that uh, while he's been around the league for a long time, um, you know, he's not necessarily a name that jumps off the page. Yeah, certainly. And, and you know, I want to switch to ask you a question. I know your, uh, where your Nationals allegiance lies. I want to ask you about a former player of yours that kind of popped out pretty low on this list. And we talked about players with big names kind of being down the list. Uh, Bryce Harper, uh, of, of now of the Philadelphia Phillies, is 10th in outfielder voting uh, in the National League. I was kind of wondering, I wanted to pick your brain on, you know, the thoughts of him being pretty far down this list. Well, I think, you know, obviously, he has an 822 OPS, which is not bad, certainly. I mean, you would take, you know, having players with 800-plus OPS any day of the week, uh, you know, his on-base percentage is very good, 356, still slugs at a decent rate, but... He's leading the entire majors in home in, in strikeouts right now, and his home runs only eleven in sixty six games. Right now, eight Nationals have a higher home run rate than Bryce Harper, which wow. is you know to, to say that you know when he left the team, a lot of people talked about how the Nats were going to lose some power, have to play a different kind of brand of baseball. They've you know lo not lost a beat. 
uh, in terms of hitting home runs, you know, even with their early struggles, that was still something the team did pretty well. Uh, you know, it was around the middle of the pack, and they've had a big surge lately. Um, so, you know, Harper, I'm very surprised that he's not higher up in the list solely because of his name value. You know, I saw last year how, how well he did, despite the fact that he was off to a pretty bad start. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he was under the Mendoza line, but he was really close to it by the time the all-star break happened, which, uh, Ken Rosenthal did a column at the time, but that was the first time that would happen, uh, in something like 60 years, um, you know, him going to the all-star game. So it, it just, that alone made me think, okay, you know, Harper, uh, is clearly, you know, just his name carries enough value around the league that he's going to become an all-star no matter what, which I didn't like personally. Um, but you know, that was the way it was. Now he was, you know, at a reaching base at a higher clip. He was slugging a higher percentage. Now he had a better, um, uh, you know, second half after the all-star break, he really went on a tear, uh, won an NL player of the week award, did really well, but you know, it was a little bit too late for the Nats overall, but he led the, the entire league in walks and, you know, his walk rate is way down this year. His power, like I said, not exactly at the same spot we're used to seeing out of him. Uh, you know, he hits in the middle of that Philly lineup, so he's still going to get a decent number of RBIs and score some runs. But, um, you know, he just hasn't been the guy that he's being paid to be. Um, and I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. going to try and jump on the, the slamming Bryce Harper wagon yet. Um, right. you know, I, I, I'm, really grew up watching this team. I know, you know, 2012, I was in high school, so I wouldn't really say grow up, but Bryce Harper is who got me into baseball. Uh, I I really owe that to him. Uh, And, you know, it's even though he's on a division rival, I'm not going to actively root against him. Um, Mm -hmm. I will if he's, you know, playing my team, but, um, you know, I want him to be successful. I'd I'd love to see him in the Hall of Fame one day. That'd be great. Um, But at the same time, you know, as far as him deserving, you know, an all-star nod, no way. I mean, not not this yeah. year, not the way he's been playing. Uh, he had a good first week, and that actually inflated his numbers a little bit more. Hmm. Um, he's been doing a little bit better lately. Seems like he's been busting out of his slump a little bit. But uh, as far as the, the the season totals go, you know, there are so many good names uh, in the National League for the outfield. Yeah. Uh, you just really can't justify putting him in there at, at any spot. Yeah, you know, I, any other things sticking out to you about this list that you wanted to talk about? Obviously, you know, I wanted to ask about the the Yankees infielders, kind of some some other names, and and of course, I wanted your opinion on Bryce. What else am I forgetting to ask you about? Um, well, uh, you know, this is I, I try not to talk about the Nats too much on the podcast, just because <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I know I'm biased, and you know, I'll come off as biased, and people aren't going to take me seriously. But Anthony Rendon, man, he needs more credit. You know, he's been one of the best third basemen in all of baseball this year. I mean, quietly, one of the best debates in baseball is who's better, Nolan Arenado or or Anthony Rendon. And Rendon is having a career season right now, OPS above 1,000. I mean, the numbers I'm about to give you right now are not even high enough because he hit a two-run homer in the first inning tonight. Um, So that's not included in these numbers. But he's hitting 316 this year, 626 slugging percentage, an OPS over 1,000, a 165 OPS plus. He has more home runs than Harper. He's at 13 on the year, 45 RBIs, already at 19 doubles. I mean, he has been invaluable. And he missed some time with an injury uh, and is still, you know, among the lead leaders in doubles. Uh, You know, I've just been – he plays such good third base, rarely has any errors – um, you know, I, all due respect to, to, to Arenado and, and Justin Turner and Chris Bryant, but I really think Rendon deserves to be in there. And if he gets snubbed from the All-Star game again, I mean, he has never made the game in his career, which is an absolute crime. I mean, you know, Nationals fans get to see him day in and day out. And what he mm-hmm. does, I mean, his swing is one of the purest swings you will ever see. It just looks so natural to him. He has such quick hands. 
uh, you know, I want the rest of baseball to see that uh, and, you know, put him on that stage uh, as an all-star. He's a quiet guy. He doesn't like the attention. He actually said he'd like to be an all-star but not have to go to the all-star game festivities <laughs> uh, because yeah. he likes the time off and doesn't really want the cameras, the interviews, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he needs some, some of this recognition, and he's going into a walk year. That, I mean, he's in his walk year now, going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, you know, it, the Nats didn't re-sign Harper. They better re-sign Rendon because, the, you know, this offense – you know, it was able to lose a superstar because another superstar was right there. You know, willing, able to step up and take his place as the, the top hitter in this lineup. And you know, mm-hmm. he, he's played probably the best baseball of his career. And, and you know, that's really saying something. He's finished uh, top eleven in MVP voting three times uh, and never wow. made the All Star game. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, certainly crazy. And looking at the list to to imagine that he's even below a guy like Josh Donaldson with the Braves, who I get, you know, is having a good year is kind of a disservice to him. I, to me personally, just looking, um, you know, quick glance at, at Nolan Arenado this year, of course, the 329 batting average is very nice, uh, 57 RBIs as well. Um, but, but yeah, you get the, the advantage of playing Coors Field, uh, Coors Park. <clears throat> Excuse me. But no, Anthony Rendon certainly shouldn't be that low on that list. And I, I, I know you were talking about people, you know, trying not to give you a bias. Uh, but the fact that he is that low and just barely ahead of a guy like Manny Machado, um, which is another interesting name to find pretty low down that list, is is kind of a disservice to him, definitely. Second in Fangraph's uh, measure of war. Third in walk rate. Wait for it. Second in batting average. First in on-base percentage. First in slugging percentage. I mean... You tell me, man. I, I, yeah. I there's there's no argument to be made that Anthony Rendon shouldn't be on the All Star team. Um, and another player I would like to see from the Nats is Juan Soto. He's been playing really good baseball lately. Uh, has now reached up to sixth uh, in uh, NL uh, F WAR among NL outfielders right now. Mm-hmm. So he should be, you know, in that conversation. The the top nine outfielders make the final vote, and then the gotcha. we vote then uh, on the starters. Now I don't think. Um, as far as the outfield goes, you know, no way that he's going to start in the outfield, uh, especially in the NL field with the two top vote getters of Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich, who have been the clear cut. I mean, the, the two of them and Mike Trout have been the three best players in baseball. There's been right. no doubt about that. Um, you know, there's certainly a case to be made for that last spot in the outfield, but uh, I'd like to see Juan Soto get a little bit more love in the voting. I mean, no Nats are really doing well in the voting right now, and that yeah. doesn't surprise me with, with how bad of a start Washington right. had, but. Now entering tonight, I mean they're they're down what five to two right now against the White Sox. But entering tonight, they were only six games back in the division, five games back in the wild card race, four games under five hundred, uh, mm-hmm. and they have a positive run differential for the first time since the first week of the season. So um, it's you know the Nats are turning things around, you know, right. knock on wood. But um, it might be a little too late in terms of getting All Star votes. Yeah, so hopefully a hot streak might be able to bump them into at least the final selection. Of course, Rendon would have to jump into what you said—the final three for uh, for third yeah, base. Yeah, I don't think there's a so chance a of, of him jump, starting, which is a yeah Ugh. a very big disservice to him. And then of course Juan would need to jump uh, Nick Markakis, Bryce Harper, and Alex Verdugo to be able to get into that top nine. Rendon just walked. There you go. There's that there, on base. There's that on base percentage skyrocketing. <laughs> All right, well, that's that's my rant there. Anything mm-hmm. uh, else standing out to you uh, as far as the voting goes before we yeah. move on? I mean, I just think it's so interesting that you look at, at the guys who signed all those massive contracts this offseason to see how far down they are on the list. I know we've already talked about 
uh, Bryce Harper, but for Manny Machado to be, you know, sixth in, in third base voting in the National League. And like we just said, there are a ton of talented third basemen uh, in the NL, certainly. Uh, it's just crazy to see those guys that made, you know, huge money are going to be fighting to even get into the finalist uh, position, I guess, for the All-Star game. And that's only going to hurt players in free agency, you know, moving forward. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned <clears throat> on that. But yeah, I think if you look at what are the biggest contracts outside of Harper and Machado, obviously the two of them are, are on the outside looking in. Jock, I mean, um, AJ Pollock, who has had an injury, uh, he's obviously not panning out super well mm-hmm. there. Um, oh gosh, I can't. Even, Andrew McCutcheon just got hurt. Obviously, he was having a nice season uh, um, out of the leadoff spot, not doing a whole lot, but you know, John, big John presence. Carlos there. got some big money, although he's he hasn't John, played yeah. in months, and he's fifth in designated hitter voting. So that's good for John Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> the Yankees fans are coming in full force. Dude, I tell oh, you what, honestly. I don't think there's a single fan base uh, right now in baseball that uh, maybe the Twins, but but I would say right now the the, the fan base that's the most excited. Right now has got to be the Yankees fan base. I mean, you're looking at the way the team's playing right now with right. all the stars coming back soon. I mean, you know, it's a it's, crazy. it's a great time to be a Yankees fan. The fact even that Aaron Judge has barely played this year and is seventh in voting for outfielders in yeah. the American League. I mean, that's just absurd. <laughs> that just shows you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think what we've got. If I'm just I'm just looking at this super quick. Uh, we've got one, two, three. Uh, for we've got where the Yankees are represented at every position in the uh, in the top vote getters. Uh, every single position have someone at least in the top ten, if not the top three. Uh, especially in you know you look catcher through third base, they've got everyone in the top three. Uh, they've got the number seven uh, outfielder along with Aaron Hicks somehow at sixteen, even though he just got back. Not to mention Brett Gardner at thirteen, uh, who has had might I say, an awful season this year. A very hot start uh, to be- to begin the season, but went ice cold, uh, I believe, since maybe, you know, the beginning couple weeks of May. And then you've got Giancarlo, who has missed an extended amount of time at fifth for designated hitter. I, I, I just don't understand. This has just got to be another clear thing about the fan vote that's just ridiculous. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. We've got a fun There's football segment uh, for you guys. There's your rant. We, we, have, we got our baseball rants in, so you know it's a good pot. Um, let's talk some football now. And Blake, how about you? you this was your idea. I'll yes. let you uh, spearhead it here. Let's give, give the give the people a rundown of what we're going to do right now. Right. So I kind of enjoyed this segment when we did it in kind of a different way uh, a couple weeks ago. This actually might have been quite some time ago, but we did a draft. We picked six teams that we thought would have the biggest jump in win total. Um, and we kind of just, we made our lists and then if Matt drafted a guy, I couldn't have him on my team. If I drafted a guy, Matt couldn't have him on his team. And we kind of went back and forth. We each selected three players that we would have or three teams that we'd have on that list. And now we're going to switch that up and we're going to go into specific players. We are going active players in the NFL currently under the age of 30 that we think by the end of their careers could go down as the best player at their respective position. We went with the under the age of 30 to remove guys like Tom Brady, uh, Adam Vinatieri, who could go down as the greatest kicker of all time. A guy like Aaron Rodgers, uh, who certainly could, if he was able to get some more championship rings. So we're going to go back and forth kind of picking, uh, which team, what, what players we believe maybe stating our cases and then coming out to see who has, you know, we might put it out to a van, uh, fan vote on Twitter and see who's got, uh, the best drafted team. Oh, I like that. So we're Do just going have- three each, right? Yeah, just three each. Uh, do you have a coin by any chance? I'm trying to see if I have one around me. I have, I have Google. 
uh, where I can press flip a coin. And I love it'll it. Do it. And so I got to All pick right. the last one. So why don't you pick this? And I'm just gonna put you on the honor code. All right. Yeah, I'll go with with tails. Tails never fails. Here we it go. Never does. And it didn't fail. There you I, go. I, I, right. I would send you a picture, but yeah, I, I believe you. I believe you. All, all right. right. So, thanks, so man. Matt, all who right. is your first pick? Who's going down as the greatest player of all time? Who has a chance to at their respective position? Man, uh, I've got I've got a couple of solid choices here. So I, I wasn't sure who to go with first, but I'm going to go with the player I think you would take. I'm going to be a little strategic right, here. Yeah, we got to go o- o- Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, with my my top solid. pick. I'm not sure if he was on your list. Oh, he definitely um, was. But okay, yeah, I figured. I figured. All right, so I'm playing this right. Um, but Odell, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, going into the Brown system now, he he's coming from a system where he was definitely not put in the best uh, position to succeed, uh, given the quarterback situation around him, uh, and yet still played as one of the best receivers in football. Three straight years uh, to start his career with 1,300 yards uh, and at least 10 touchdowns. That uh, feat hadn't been done, uh, I want to say, ever. Um, to start mm-hmm. a career, obviously had that big injury in 2017, but came back to play 12 games last year uh, and did very well. Still finished with over a thousand yards receiving despite only playing uh, in those 12 games. So now he's going over to the Browns, where he has the potential to be a franchise receiver, uh, play for them for the rest of his career, and, and you know grow with Baker Mayfield, uh, a strong running core, uh, good coaching around him. I'm really excited for what Odell's going to do, and he's my number one pick as uh, the future GOAT of the wide receiver uh, position. Now, it is an uphill battle uh, with Jerry Rice obviously being at the top mm-hmm. of there and you know all the records that he has, but right. I think if any receiver under the age of 30 right now is poised to do it, it's Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, no, I completely agree. My favorite set about Odell is before the injuries, uh, he was set to break all of Jerry Rice's records in five fewer years than him. I know Jerry Rice's big thing was he played 21 seasons, but Odell could have had the normal standard for a great wide receiver and shattered those numbers. I think Odell has a great chance. Like you said, he got himself he, he got himself out of a big market like New York, which takes a hit on, I guess, your kind of fame. But he got himself out of a mm-hmm. bad situation, turned it into a really great one with a young quarterback, a lot of talent around him. I think that's a great pick. He was certainly on my list. Um, <clears throat> so my first pick where I'm going to go with this is a guy that I think might already be the best defensive tackle of all time. And if not, just by raw physical tools and by not... By the end of his career, I think his production will certainly be there. I'm going to go take Aaron Donald. He is not the age of 30 yet. He's just 28. Uh, I think he has a chance to go down as the greatest defensive tackle of all time. He's got in just, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five seasons. He's recorded just nearly 60 sacks, uh, which is insane from the interior position. 97 tackles for loss. He was among league leaders last year with 20 and a half sacks, 25 tackles for loss. He was uh, the defensive player of the year for the last two years. Uh, was the Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2014. He is a four-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler. Um, To me, he's kind of changed the game of the defensive tackle position. Interior pressure has now been looked at by other teams as kind of a a big necessity. If you can bring pressure up the middle, uh, you are forcing quarterbacks to go on the outside and scramble around. You're ruining, disrupting offensive lines. If, If you're a defensive tackle and you demand two guys double teaming you every play with a third guy keeping his eyes on you. All you need is adequate rush uh, end players to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. The Rams were a very successful team last year, should be for the foreseeable future. Aaron Donald, to me, 
if, if he goes on a stretch of a couple more defensive player of the years, he's only getting better as it seems. I mean, I, I know before this year, he only had two seasons with, you know, sacks uh, with 10 or more sacks, but he's had at least eight sacks in every year of his young career. He's 28 coming off 20 and a half sacks as a defensive tackle. That is just unheard of. He's rarely missed games. I believe he has missed uh, two games in his entire career, um, has only missed six starts technically. He's appeared in a few games off the bench in his rookie season when he was 23. Uh, but to me, Aaron Donald should go down as the greatest defensive tackle of all time. Let's let's put this in perspective here, Blake. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not fighting you on any way. Um, Aaron Donald ranks 24th all time. Uh, in sacks by a defensive tackle in his career. He's at 59 and a half, like you said, 24th all time, right? Mm-hmm. The 23 players above him on the list, all players who have had at least 60 sacks in their career, all of them needed at least 140 games to do so. You want to wow. know how many Aaron Donald has played in his career? 78. <laughs> 78 games uh, compared to all of his counterparts, 137 or more in all of them. Only two players who are active have more than him, Calais Campbell and Geno Atkins. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's already third among defensive tackles uh, in sacks. There's no doubt about it. He is really on a path uh, to yeah. being you know, one of the best defensive tackles in all time. And, I mean, he only got better last year. I mean, you know, it's not very often you see players repeat defensive player of the year awards. just so hard to do um, mm-hmm. because there are so few statistics that we use to really measure that, uh, you know, who is the best defensive player. We look at interceptions, we look at sacks, we look at tackles, tackles for loss, um, you know, but it's, it's hard to quantify a lot of the impact uh, that uh, a defensive player can make. But when a defensive tackle is leading the league in sacks, when a defensive tackle is racking up 20 sacks in a year, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that that's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and it's also unbelievable, you know, just to look at the physical human being he is. No one at 280 pounds should have rock-solid abs. I just think that's absurd <laughs> that you think of a guy that's nearly 300 pounds and is just shredded. He trains with guys that are trying to stab him with knives. It's just he's he's a freak of nature, and, and I just I, – I could only imagine being face-to-face with a guy like that and thinking, oh, I've got to stop him from getting past me. I think Aaron Donald yeah. could press his pinky <laughs> on me and I'd fall to the ground. Well, uh, I'm not going to argue with that pick. He was <laughs> certainly on my list uh, as a player to take. Um, you had uh, you had mentioned Donald, I think, when you originally told me about the idea, but he actually, I, I forgot, but now I'm remembering you mentioning him, so maybe I should have gone with him for the first. Would you have gone Odell if I had gone um, no, uh, with uh, Aaron, Aaron Donald? Aaron was my first pick, but I would say Odell was like okay. my second or third probably. Okay. All right. So he was in the mix. All right. Well, oh, yeah, definitely. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay on the offensive side of the ball here, um, and go with the tight end out of Kansas City, Travis Kelsey. Oh wow. Uh, who wrapped up his age 29 season last uh, last season, uh, third straight year as a tight end with a thousand plus receiving yards. Okay. Mm-hmm. That has only been done once before him uh, in NFL history by a tight end. Um, and you know, we, we talk about guys like Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates, uh, as among the, the, the better tight ends that we've seen, you know, in the past a couple decades. I mean, what we're seeing out of Travis Kelsey, I mean, his, his, his catch rate is absolutely insane. Uh, he's great at catching balls in traffic. I mean, you know, we, we, I kind of look at him as, you know, Jimmy Graham definitely scored more touchdowns. I would say he was the better red zone threat. Um, but I, I like what I see out of Kelsey over the middle of the field. Uh, you know, he's able to stretch plays. 
uh, you know, had an 80-yard touchdown in 2016. That just kind of shows off, you know, his ability uh, to go deep and, and to get yards after contact. Um, so, you know, I'm going with Kelsey uh, because not just of what talent we've seen, but there really doesn't look like it's going to slow down um, with, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes coming in. We talked about how Odell was going to benefit with Baker. I don't think anyone's going to benefit as much as Kelsey uh, between the fact that, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill in his situation right now, probably going to take away some catches uh, in that regard, give some over to Kelsey. Uh, I see him having a huge year in 2019. And um, I mean, he's just one of the most dominant pass catchers uh, from the tight end position that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, definitely. And especially when you take into consideration what we've, you know, we just witnessed probably the greatest tight end of all time uh, hit retirement. And the biggest thing with Rob Gronkowski was he wasn't able to stay healthy. His body was just too massive where he couldn't hold up. Travis Kelsey is a freak of nature, but if I'm looking at it, has missed uh, two starts since 2015. So he's been reliable three straight seasons of over a thousand yards. Uh, an average, a career average of 12.8 yards per reception. I mean, the dude is a freak of nature, and he's got the right quarterback to extend those numbers. I will say, I didn't have Kelsey on my list. I completely forgot about him, but that's certainly a pick that mm-hmm. I that I understand on there. I, I thought it would be a, a savvy selection. Um, I didn't want to yeah. go all offense, so I do have a, a defensive player unless you take him from me. Um, but uh, I, I did really want to pick Kelsey, so I'm glad that you didn't have him on your list. Right. So I'm going to go. So I went, oh man, what am I going to do now? Because I got to build this team correctly. Um, Let's see. So I went Aaron Donald. I'm going to switch back to the offense and I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a guy that just had his rookie season, just finished it up. um, And I think truly has the chance to, yep, (laughs) there, that's it, I knew it, not beating around the bush, Saquon Barkley, (laughs) I'm going to say has a chance to go down as the greatest running back of all time, Uh, to me, he's a guy, when we think about running backs now, we always talk about how running backs can't, you know, be uh, considered to carry on long careers, we look at a guy like Todd Gurley, who's been probably the best running back uh, over the last few years, and we've, we're talking about where his knee might be a problem where we can't play him for a full season of football ever again, and he might see the downfall of his career in the next few seasons just because health. It's hard to be a running back and to be able to sustain hit after hit after hit the entire season. Uh, I'm going to take a look at Saquon Barkley as a guy who in his rookie season didn't miss a game, had 26, 261 rushing attempts, 5 yards a carry, which is outstanding, 81 yards a game, uh, 1,300 yards uh, rushing, 721 receiving. We talk about in his first season, 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Um, To me, the thing with Barkley is he's never dealt with injuries. Uh, He's never really dealt with anything serious. Even I remember a few times thinking that, uh, you know, I watched him get hurt on a run. He seems to just walk it off like everything's fine. To me, he's built like a running back that could, you know, handle a career late into his mid-30s, late-30s. And if he's able to do that with the production we saw in his rookie year, which I think could only get better as it goes on, I think he could go down as the greatest running back of all time. Now, the biggest question for me is I'm a little worried about the situation he's in, the situation we talked about Odell getting out of. It's not a great offensive line. There's not great quarterback play. There's not great receivers around him. So to me, you know, Saquon's in danger of just being relied on too heavily, and I think his numbers could be hit from that. You know, we talk about a guy like Leonard Fournette, with the Jaguars, and I'm not comparing the two, but when you're on that Jaguars team and there's not great receivers and Blake Bortles is your quarterback, opposing defenses just stack nine 
nine defenders in the box and said, okay, try and pass on us. And I think we could see that with the Giants this next year. There really are no threats in the passing game. So if I'm an opposing defense, I'm going to say, let's just take Saquon Barkley out of the game and we're going to win. So I'm a little worried about the situation, but I do think just what we saw from his rookie year, I love the freak of nature that he is. I, I think there isn't a player in the league I'm more ex- I get more excited watching. It's only been one year, but Saquon Barkley, I think, is a real good shot to go down as the greatest running back of all time. Yeah, I mean, I can't lie and say that Saquon crossed my mind. Now, he didn't make it out of my list because, mm-hmm. you know, being a, a rookie, you know, we've only seen him for one season. A lot can happen in a career, um, and I didn't want to jump the gun in that way. Now, you know, we're in a... An, a, a time, you know, where the running back position just is not as important as it used to be. I mean, you look at guys mm-hmm. like Jim Brown, Eric Dickerson, Barry Sanders, you know, guys who get talked about as among the, the greatest running backs we've ever seen, Walter Payton, those types. I mean, you know, that kind of football just really isn't seen as much anymore. Um, now, you know, obviously with, with the kind of talent that the Giants have in their running back, they're going to go run heavy uh, and give him plenty of carries. There's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to talk about who the greatest player at their position is, I think they have to be relatively valuable across the league. And, you know, at the time mm-hmm. when those guys, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, were playing, to have a running back of that caliber was incredibly valuable. Whereas now, you know, we as good as Saquon was last year, you know, he really didn't help the Giants offense produce all that much. Now, this is not to take away from Barkley as a player. He's absolutely right. outstanding. Led the league in yards from scrimmage last year. I'm just saying that, that relative to the league, I don't know if Saquon can end up, even if he has, you know, sets an all-time, you know, some all-time records, uh, you know, gets up there, has some all-time great seasons. I just don't know if he could be considered the GOAT because it's just not as important to have as strong a running game as it used to be. Yeah, that's true. I guess it would take Saquon's running abilities to translate into success for the team. And of course, with how bad the Giants were last year, even though he had a remarkable season, I think you make a very good point where it would take a lot for Saquon to translate his game into wins and playoff appearances for the Giants. Hopefully, you know, maybe there's a time where we come down 10 years from now and we look at you know, the running back position as a, as a very important part. I mean, the league is ever-changing, but it, it certainly does seem like it's Absolutely. in a passing direction. So I, I'll, I'll definitely give you credit for that. I might have slipped but a that's, little But that's that also thing. the thing. I don't want to slight you too much because of right. how valuable Saquon is in the passing game. I mean, he had oh, 721 yeah. receiving yards this year, 7.9 yards per reception, 45 per game. He had four touchdowns on the year. I mean, you know, that's... That's outstanding for a running back, uh, and he adds that value that makes him more valuable than the average running back, especially just the run-heavy ones who can't add an element in the passing game. You know, he is so vital in there. I mean, you know, 2,000 yards from scrimmage, like I said, I mean, that's that's nothing to shake your head at. If he's leading the league in yards from scrimmage every year, I mean, you know, we're getting in a different conversation where I don't think mm-hmm. we're, we're necessarily – he might not go down as the greatest runner of all time, um, but maybe the best, uh, you know, versatile running back of all time. That yeah. could certainly be an argument that could be made. Good. I like it. Thank you for giving me some uh, some hope that that was the right pick. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> so, right, so where well, are you going with your final uh, pick? My final pick uh, is a fun one. Um, a player who has uh, been credited as being one of the better defensive players uh, in the league for some time now. Now. Uh, and that's Von Miller, the outside linebacker oh, wow. uh, for the Denver Broncos. He just wrapped up his age 29 season. I'm actually kind of cheating. Um, he turned 30 77 days ago. Um, but he has yet to play a snap at the age of 30, okay. uh, so I'm counting it. Yeah, yeah, that um, counts. 
But through his age 29 season, he set an NFL record against uh, sacks have only been measured since 1982, but he set an NFL record for the most sacks by uh, a linebacker uh, in his um, through his age 29 season, up by six sacks over the previous number. He's at 98 um, in his career. Um, which has just been, you know, an outstanding run for him. I mean, all but one season, he's gotten into double-digit sacks. His tackle numbers have been solid. I mean, he plays in that 3-4 system where, you know, he can play uh, as a great pass rusher, but he also drops back into coverage sometimes. Only two interceptions in his career, um, but, you know, finishes with a couple passes defended every season. Has forced plenty of turnovers in the fumbles department. Uh, he's just really a do-it-all linebacker, uh, you know, a player that the, the Broncos have – you know, really had some ups and downs over the years, but Von Miller has just kind of been through it all. Uh, he's been with the team, uh, you know, when they're at their best and when they've been at their worst, but he's a three-time All-Pro. Uh, I would say um, the best outside linebacker uh, or, you know, one of the best outside linebackers that we have in football right now. But I would say since 2011, there is nobody who's been more consistent uh, and added more value to the defensive unit uh, in, as, from a linebacker standpoint as Von Miller. Yeah, he's certainly been uh, he's certainly been definitely one of the best defensive players in football. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't have him on my list. It didn't necessarily cross my mind. He is almost at that 100 uh, sack threshold, and I believe uh, to get inside the top 10, he needs to get to 138, which certainly is capable of of, of completing in his career. But I. I do worry that maybe as the years go on, maybe the sack production will start to decline a little bit. Maybe the defense starts to use some other guys. Uh, you know, maybe uh, offensive lines start to focus pressure on him to give up some room for other guys. <clears throat> but you're right. You know, one, two, three, four, five consecutive ten plus sack seasons. Of course, the eighteen and a half sack season in 2012. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Von Miller is is a, an amazing defensive player. I think it's tough to go down as the greatest you know, edge defensive and outside linebacker of all time. When you've got guys like a Julius Peppers or Reggie White, Michael Strahan, Jason Taylor, there are so many guys that have done it well and done it, you know, extraordinarily well. You know, we look at Reggie White, he's got 198 career sacks. I know we said there's a, there's not a lot to judge defensive players off of by those few numbers. So I'm not going to, you know, totally harp on Von Miller for being, you know, a hundred lower than Reggie White in the career total. But, you know, I, I I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, harp on the pick too much. He's certainly been one of the best defensive ends in recent memory. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he measures in at 63250, which, you know, obviously by our standards is is pretty big, but as mm-hmm. far as as a football player, you know, right. that lends itself to being able to play for a little bit deeper into his career if he wants to, you know, play uh into his mid to late 30s. Uh, which I think gives him, I, I don't think he's going to necessarily, you know, take the all-time record for sacks or anything like that. But, um, you know, with with just the kind of element that he's added to this Broncos defense, you know, he's been so valuable uh, since he came to the league. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone's been better than him in this era, you know, the 2010s decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's something to be said for that. So um, in, a, in a time where pass rushers are, you know, so important, we talked about value before with the running backs, you know, how important it is to have guys that can get to the quarterback and force bad throws, uh, with how good the quarterback position is these days, right. uh, a guy like Von Miller is so valuable. And that's been part of the reason that the Broncos have been able to, despite the fact that their offense has really been up and down in recent years, the defense has been pretty, you know, st- uh, stagnant in terms of, um, you know, its level of production. It's usually been in the upper half of the league. Uh, and Von Miller has been a big part of that. Mm-hmm. 
Certainly. So, you know, I'll be honest with my list. I've still got three players left with my final pick that I could choose from. Oh, man. And you know what? So I'm looking at positions. I'm trying to think about what will maximize the best opportunity to nail this correctly. I have a quarterback on this (laughs) list, but it'd be tough for this quarterback to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. So I'm not going to choose him. And I think one of the other guys I have is a cornerback. It'd be pretty hard to go down as the greatest cornerback of all time. So I'm going to go to a real ugly, gritty position, and I'm going with my second rookie of this uh, of this selection. Oh, man. I'm going with <laughs> Quentin Nelson, offensive guard of the Indianapolis Colts. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I am not. Uh, so sixth overall pick last year, uh, instantly turned himself into – the best offensive guard in football, uh, one first team all pro in his rookie year. First team, uh, he got he was a Pro Bowl selection as well. Appeared in all sixteen games, um, and to me, I think the success is also going to come in from people realizing, uh, you know, the potential that the Colts have as a future dynasty. Chris Ballard has certainly done a tremendous job building this team, where they've got a lot of flexibility, a lot of great pieces. Certainly, you know, they turned around their season after a one and five start last year. I think. With the potential success of the team, Quentin Nelson kind of looks as like one of the guys that really played a huge role. We talked about how uh, you know the Colts continuously put Andrew Luck in harm's way by not building around an offensive line. Quentin Nelson came in there day one and and really changed the look of this uh, offensive unit. Um, certainly, as just stepping in and becoming the best guard in football. Whether some people might want to say Zach Martin is there, I think Quentin Nelson's just aggressiveness and, and tenacity and ability to hold up uh, you know, some of the best defensive players in football. I mean, he got to go against guys like Jadavian Clowney this past year, a guy like Chris Jones. He faced some of the best guys in football and, and graded out as the top offensive guard in the league. Uh, it's a young career ahead for him. He just turned 23 years old 84 days ago. I don't think it'd be too hard for him to go down as the greatest guard of all time. Man, that is, that's bold, I got to say, especially taking an offensive lineman where we really see I mean, guys kind of go up and down. I think Zach, did you, did you mention Zach Martin? I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, yeah. Quick search. Yeah, I think Martin is probably the biggest threat as far as this uh, era goes um, with, with uh, who is even is the best guard of this era. Right, right now, with as far as last year goes, I mean, only four active offensive linemen ha- were uh, AP number one, uh, all pro, first team all pro uh, offensive linemen before the age of 30. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm reading that right, but that's what this says. Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin, Mitchell Schwartz of the Kansas City Chiefs, and David right. Bakhtiari, uh, the famed beer chugger of the Green yes. Bay Packers. <laughs> Um, those are the only four. So, you know, he's already in elite company, um, certainly, you know, made his impact felt, uh, with how much more time, uh, we saw Andrew Luck have this season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was definitely impressed just, I mean, I'm not going to say I watched Quentin Nelson specifically throughout the year, but I definitely was impressed with what I saw at the Colts offensive line. And, you know, he was a huge part of that. Right. And the big thing with this is who are the greatest guards of all time? And I did look this up just to make sure what it would take for him to get up there. Um, you know, a, a couple of places I was looking at, John Hannon uh, is considered one of the greatest guards of all time. He was of the New England Patriots from the 70s into the third into the 80s. Uh, he was voted to nine Pro Bowls and he was a seven time first team all pro. Uh, and he started 183 games every game of his career. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Gene Upshaw, seven Pro Bowls, five first team all pros. 
Uh, Bruce Matthews was 14 Pro Bowls. He had a very long career, almost 20 full years, and he was this All-Pro seven times. Um, to me, honestly, this this comes down to Pro Bowls and All-Pros for him. If he can get up in that 9 range, maybe he could get into that 10 range. I know it's only one season, but really what we saw from him was just pure uh, brutality on the offensive line. I remember just watching, there was a video clip at least every week of him just pounding, you know, a, a tremendous defensive talent into the ground. Uh, it's not a sexy pick because the guard position is so weird to kind of <laughs> consider the greatest guard of all time. But for the sake of trying to get this in there, I will say my other two picks that I was going to go with, uh, I was either going to go with Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs, but I thought that'd be a little bit tougher for him to get into that GOAT conversation at quarterback. And then I was going to go uh, Jalen Ramsey at corner. Those are my other two mm. considerations. But I decided to go with guard because I think it'll be easier for him to go down as the greatest guard of all time. Okay, I definitely got that stat wrong. There are 17 active players uh, who got a all-pro first-team selection as an offensive lineman um, under the age of 30. 17 okay. active players. Uh, it was four in 2018. Uh, so he was one of them from last gotcha. year, obviously. Okay. Um, but uh, Zach Martin leads the way there with three. So I think Martin has an early lead, but uh, Nelson certainly could catch up to him um, you know, farther down the line. Now, um, my other two picks, <coughs> I had other two more as well. Uh, I went cornerback, but I actually went with a different one. This could have been interesting. I was going to go with Patrick Peterson, um, oh, who okay. uh, leads all corners, uh, not named Richard Sherman in uh, active interceptions right now. Richard Sherman, who is only who had no interceptions last year and only two the year before that, uh, hard to give him. Uh, who's also over the age of thirty anyway, but um, you know. I think Peterson would have to pass him uh, in that interceptions total um, and then, you know, beyond uh, to get in that conversation. But like you said, cornerback's tough. Um, and then my other one, I was kind of also cheating. This is another player who just turned. I mean, we, we did this a month too late. Um, yeah. But uh, another player who turned 30, 31 days ago. Um, and I, I, I kind of bet the rules a little bit. I wanted to say the best running quarterback of all time uh, and, oh. and throw Cam Newton into the conversation, <laughs> okay. um, which, you know, obviously is is a little bit different. I, like I said, I didn't want to go with any rookies. I'd love to say Patrick Mahomes uh, for best quarterback of all time. But, you know, I think we have to see him play a lot more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what we've seen, you know, obviously – uh, Cam Newton's already won an MVP, uh, three-time Pro Bowler. He's thrown for 4,000 yards. He won Rookie of the Year. Uh, pretty consistent in terms of throwing for at least 3,000 and adds, obviously, with that element with his legs. Um, his rushing totals are absolutely outstanding. Now he's, he's coming off of this shoulder surgery. Um, you know, we're not sure if he's going to be fully healthy. Now he's projected to be ready for week, for week one. Um, but the, the story at the end of the year was that the Panthers were going to have to be ready going into next year um, mm -hmm. with – uh, another quarterback for the first couple weeks until he was ready. And this wouldn't be the first time, um, you know, we've seen that out of him, uh, you know, all the way back in 2016, we had that, uh, a similar situation. He dealt with injuries in 2014, um, still has played at least 14 games every year. Um, but you know, has, has been limited in certain sp spots where it, it begs to, to wonder, you know, Cam, can Cam stay healthy for his entire career? Right. Uh, I'm not so sure. That's why, you know, he didn't make the cut over Von Miller, but mm -hmm. uh, was probably going to be my next my next pick if I had a fourth. Gotcha. So, yeah, just to recap our teams now, certainly an interesting discussion. I had fun with that, and it was nice to see yeah. when we picked our six teams that we expected the win jump total. We all had we had the same six teams on our list, kind of just in we a did. different order. So it was nice to have players kind of coming in from different areas. My team uh, was uh, led by 
Aaron Donald uh, then had Saquon Barkley and Quentin Nelson. I went extremely young with my last two picks. Uh, Matt, you had Odell Beckham Jr., Travis Kelsey, and then your last pick, I can't remember. Who was your last pick again? Von Von Miller. Miller. That's correct. My boy Von Miller. So Von Miller. So maybe we'll put that, maybe I'll make a nice graphic. We'll put that out on a Twitter poll to see what our uh, our followers think between our teams. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I think I've got some older players, so uh, their their pictures are a little more clear as to what right. they need to do the rest of their career. Very true. Um, but yeah, that was fun, and we I think we should we should start doing something like this every week. Get a yeah, three picks a, each type uh, draft deal. Yeah, we could jump it into some other sports too, and have some discussions there. Fun like fun little draft on draft kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. Let's do it. Alrighty. Well, yeah, I think we've reached the end of our episode. I know my computer is almost dying in a couple minutes, so we've got a we, – we did a pretty long one, just about an hour and yep. 12 minutes. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'm at Blake Andrew Pace. Matt is Matt Wyrick FBB, and then he's also Matt Wyrick Seville, CVW. Did I get that right? CVW. CVW, yep. okay, for his other uh, Twitter handle as well for Seville Weekly News. Matt's in the first week of his job, and it uh, seems to be going well <laughs> if I'm correct. Yeah, if you uh, are really interested in zoning regulations, that's uh, what I was tweeting about today, and local elections go. in Charlottesville, so some fun stuff. Um, fun. Last last quick thing before we go, uh, Cam Jordan is a saint for an extra three extra years. Ah, yes. I'm super pumped about that, one of the most underrated defensive ends in football. Um, not going to go into it, but uh, <laughs> I'm very excited that the Saints extended him and we get to see him possibly end his career in New Orleans. <clears throat> yeah, certainly good, and, and on top of that, I'm going to chime in with the fact that uh, – uh, Luke Rhodes, long snapper for the Colts, agreed to a contract extension today. So, oh, so the Colts are making news. money moves as well. So <laughs> nice to see our teams both lock down some very important players. Huge, uh, honestly, yeah. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you on our next episode of Reasonably Outrageous. Have a nice day. <laughs>